Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The power of association, and that's the process of being able to get into your unconscious because it's not, you know, when you're imagining being the snake or being Jan, you know, there's this power of association that you might not even know that you're making. Like, this is somebody that's always in control. And so now you're opening up to that experience about control or being out of control or needing somebody that has control. So the window into your unconscious can be so powerful, but you have to be open to it, right? You have to be open to saying, let's slow down. And by the way, if somebody says I had a dream and they kind of laugh and go forward, it's worthy to say, hey, slow down and tell me about that. Because if they're bringing it up, and they're mentioning it, it's carrying with them for some reason, some weight, even if they don't know. And oftentimes we don't know in our own dreams, like they're chaotic, they're crazy. You called them dumb. I think your meaning is they're just, they're chaotic. They're not sensical many of the time. Sometimes you get a, you know, a whole storyline when you stop to think about it, but they can be very chaotic, but full of symbols and full of meaning. And when you slow it down, the story that can arise from that is so powerful. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, Sue. Hey, Ann Kelly. Let's talk about dreams. Dreams are incredibly interesting. We talk about them individually and we talk about them with our clients. We talk about them with our therapists. What are your thoughts about them? Well, you know, some people don't like to talk about dreams. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) They say dreams are stupid. What's the point of doing that? So we disagree. We think that the disavowal of dreams, if nothing else, is like an interesting pot of associations and things that you could get something out of. So guess probably the kinds of folks that are poo-pooing dreams. Yes. Which side of the spectrum might they fall to say nothing to see (laughs) here. And as a matter of fact, for any of you that a lot of people sometimes can't believe that they even dream because they have no memory of them. But one of the things we can say for sure, there's a lot we can't say for sure about dreams because there's so many different theories around them. But what we can say is you do dream. Everybody dreams, whether you remember it or not, you're dreaming every night because we do know it's an essential part of our memory process. So when memory reconsolidation happens, I always think of um, that animation movie that had all the characters um, with the feelings. Oh my gosh, we were just talking about that. Somebody's going to put it in the comments. (laughs) But the... One of the parts that stuck out to me so much in that was when he was sleeping, the little guy came out and was sweeping. Inside out. Inside out. Inside out. And he was sweeping. And what he was doing was sorting, like reconsolidating. What is important? What do I need to hold on to? And here's something interesting, too, from a neuroscience standpoint. 
It's like, how do we know when something is labeled importance or not? Because we get 100 bazillion inputs a day. And there's got to be some mechanism of what's what to store and what not to store that then later would get cleaned up by the dreams. But typically what it's going to be is a little shot of energy. So that's why you'll remember something if it's a surprise or if you're moved or if there's a lot of novelty. Those are the things that can get jumped, popped into long-term memory that then when we fall asleep or, or, and again, it's a jumble, it's a jumble, it's a jumble of what's going to end up landing and what's not going to land. And so literally, it's like a little sweeper, and I'm just imagining the inside out guy, that cleans it up. And in the morning, you can just think about it. It's like, it's actually extremely effective. But that we're really on memory consolidation, but not necessarily about dreams yet. Well, I love that image of the sweeping. I wish that was happening in your house at the, in the middle of the night, but it's happening in your brain. I love that idea that somebody's in there cleaning it up, sorting it out, sorting your closets. So there's this process and you bring up the emotions. Dreams are extremely emotional. Most of our dreams are in a way for our body to digest emotions and all these experiences we've had. And what's, what's the relevance, right? That is part of the memory consolidation process that we're talking about. Exactly. And if you get real nerdy and do a deep dive into it, not like we have, because of course we have, but um, when you really, really get into the science, there's a zillion different theories about it. And, you know, going all the way back to Freud and, you know, this wish fulfillment and things like that. And there's been a pendulum. So for a while, dreams were very important. And then, then they're nothing but just kind of trash as you're cleaning up. You know what I mean? Not anything to pay attention to, not meaningful in your day-to-day life. But I have the sense that, like, let's just say for a minute, worst case scenario, dreams are just like this little cloud of dust during the sweeping. <laughs> and it's not really that meaningful. Well, when we begin to, if you just think about, like, if you look at clouds and you form meaning, right? Like, oh, look, it's a tiger. What's the tiger doing? Oh, the tiger's chasing the. Well, it's the same thing. So, in worst case scenario, even if our dreams are totally random, neurological belches (laughs) (laughs) which we don't believe but no that is what what we believe but i'm saying you're way over there in the blue and that's what you're thinking uh, but i'm saying (laughs) even if that's the case how we relate in the morning to the dream how we express the dream the the meaning we make of the dream is still fascinating so there's no way you're going to be able to convince us that there's not a way to learn about yourself and deepen and really tap into some unconscious process, no matter what exactly is generating the images and thoughts and feelings associated in the dream, because it's the meaning making that I find so fascinating and so useful. What are your thoughts about that? I completely agree. And in both working with my own dreams, as well as my clients' dreams, it is one of the most powerful... a powerful elements to explore those things. If you think about dreams being also the way that our mind is taking in some of the unconscious things that we're experiencing during the day, right? And then we're, we're asleep, our defenses are down and images come, right? Dreams aren't literal. They're not, I had a really hard meeting today and I'm going to go home. I mean, sometimes that happens, but more than likely you're not going to have a meeting dream about that exact meeting or something that went wrong or was embarrassing. 
But the power of that association, the overwhelming emotion that you might have had during that day could come out in symbols, in activities that are happening in your brain. And this power of association is powerful. That's right. And I want to begin to like associate to some of these symbols and uh, talk about that a little bit more. But also just other data is that it does seem like that dreams will often have a negative, there'll be a negative tone to them. That isn't atypical. So kind of scary. And one of the theories was that we are rehearsing in the night things that make us scared, basically trying to get body experience of handling scary things. And there's a, there was a rat, this one, it's been a long time. I'm not going to be able to even cite it. But what it was, was they interrupted rat REM sleep. And one of the things they found very quickly was that like rats naturally do things like run along your baseboard, like they stay in the corners. They don't just frolic around the middle of your living room. They're angular. And that's because that's safer for them. But when you mess with their REM sleep, they'd lose some of their natural defensive capabilities, which is really just interesting. And that was one idea of like, okay, we dream like, I dream that my stroller runs into the road and a car hits it is adaptive to me to hold the hell onto the stroller. (laughs) So that's just another more kind of concrete for those of you that like the concrete is it's like one theory is that we really are practicing the things that are actually danger in our lives, dangerous in our lives. And by doing it, it helps us be vigilant during the day about the right things. So I'm fascinated and I'm going to have to look up that rat study. So what you're saying is when they interrupted that, so most of our dreaming, we dream during non-REM sleep, but most of our really intense active emotional dreaming is happening during REM. Yes. And so studies are, we keep people from having REM sleep and what happens when you're deprived of that process? That's the outcome of that study. And there's lots of human studies on this as well. So what you're saying is when you interrupt that sleep for rats, they literally during their waking day will have more just dangerous actually activity, but they're more playful and out and not in their natural instinct to protect themselves, which they actually need to do. I don't mean that it makes them more playful. I think it makes, I think when we lose REM sleep, we... um... No, we're not playful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that they did things that they shouldn't have done with the idea being that this rehearses and rehearses and rehearses for us a dangerous situation, which is also explained some of why that it is typically harder feelings in dreams. So does a dream come to mind for you? Well, you know, when I waited tables for years and years and years, and most and a lot of wait staff will relate to this, I would always have dreams about being in the weeds. Like I could see the table and realize I had forgotten them and try to go back and I'm just too busy and I can't do it. I can't. I'm in the weeds, which is an expression for waiting tables when you just can't see above and you can't handle everything. And that was really, really repetitive for me. And I think it was my way of working out the stress of the whole experience of constantly being in that experience when you wait tables of being constantly behind and always having to be really vigilant. What about you? Well, it's funny as I was thinking about dreams to share, I'm like, oh, I can't share that one. No, I can't share that one. I mean, I will share one, but uh, like some big life events have been literally pivoted for me on dreams and on the sense that I got of like a deeper wholeness or a deeper meaning. Like my psyche 
you know, was trying to tell me something and it generated these ways that I could hear it. I have been in my life a prolific dreamer, prolific, a lot related to, you know, just my own personal trauma history. And I've used my dreams over time as part of my healing. And this is part of why we're bringing it up is we want you to learn how to use your dreams to be part of your healing. So this is just a real simple, this was in graduate school where we had to look at dreams and it was using gestalt. And basically it was a dumb dream. It was a, like, they're all dumb, right? I mean, they're all are hard to tell because we're confabulating, trying to make it make sense. But basically there's these two buildings next to each other. And the drama was there was this rope between the two buildings and I'm crossing this rope. Okay, that's the, okay, not that interesting. But then we did the exercise where you become each of the characters. And so the first building, you know, I'm the building and I'm holding it up and I'm holding this string really tight because somebody's about to get out on it, right? So then now I'm out on the, on the tight thing and I'm the string. And so the string is trying so hard to hold on because somebody's leaning on it and it's doing its very best to hold this person up. And then I'm in the other building and the building is like about to let go because it's too heavy. So basically what ended up happening is no matter what position I took, it was the same theme that I was working on, which was like, if you think of it, every single one of those, I'm taking responsibility like for the life of whoever. And that knocked me on the head about how obvious that was. And then once I sort of started feeling that, I couldn't take a position in the dream, you know, because there was other little details or whatever, where the, the exact same thing didn't happen, where it was like, if I don't hold this person up, or if I don't hold, if I don't, can't hold this rope, somebody's going to die. So it goes right back into my early life of not necessarily literally, but feeling like that I was holding everything together and taking it so seriously and being so scared that I wouldn't be able to do it. So that that's just a way of like getting right, right around all of our thinking and, you know, stuff like that. But boring dream, but it was what we did with it that was actually made it interesting. What well, to the point before, yeah, is the dream actually doing that or is your working through the dream giving you this avenue? But what is very, very relevant as you talk about it is the intensity of the feeling that you were having describing it that was coming out in your dream and then your processing of it allowed you to have that really powerful association with what was happening and then to be able to talk about it in your life. Like, how are you holding those feelings right now? How are those coming up in the current state for you, both in your history and the present tense? That's right. I always think of it when a client or anyone, just like I did, brings you a dream, it's such an act of trust because they don't really know exactly what they're revealing. So the interpersonal part of sharing a dream is really, really, really important. And then, you know, for me, it's like we work with it in so many ways, but part of it is like, that's one exercise is, okay, be the different characters in your dream and just see, you know, that's one. And yeah, the everything is you. So if you're, if there's a baby in the dream, the baby is you. If like the, is a way of just trying it on. Um, sometimes I'll say like, okay, if I was from, you know, they'll say Jan showed up and Mark did this. And so if I am an alien from another planet, what is a Jan? Oh, a Jan is somebody who always tells you what to do, you know, or whatever. So basically that we were getting to a little bit of the deepers of what these things symbolize because they're symbolizations. And 
that has been really, really, really effective because I don't want to assume what I think of Jan is what she, you know, or even a snake, right? Like it, they're, they're dreaming of a snake. I don't know what their relationship is with that snake and in that dream, what that dream meant to them about the snake. So rather than saying the snake means something, I'm much more about like, tell me about the snake. You know, what, what was the snake's motive? What was it doing? Like you're saying, how, what, what are your feelings towards the snake? I wonder why a snake... You know what I mean? And then just as we wonder and we wonder and we make meaning, the idea is we're not in the court of law. We're not trying to say this is right and this is the only way. We're working to just tie back into the psyche, that that kind of communication that is less literal, less concrete, less logical, basically. And the power of association, and that's the process of being able to get into your unconscious because it's not you know, when you're imagining being the snake or being Jan, you know, there's this power of association that you might not even know that you're making. Like, this is somebody that's always in control. And so now you're opening up to that experience about control or being out of control or needing somebody that has control. So the window into your unconscious can be so powerful, but you have to be open to it, right? You have to be open to saying, let's slow down. And by the way, if somebody says I had a dream and they kind of laugh and go forward, it's worthy to say, hey, slow down and tell me about that. Because if they're bringing it up and they're mentioning it, it's carrying with them for some reason, some weight, even if they don't know. And oftentimes we don't know in our own dreams, like they're chaotic, they're crazy. You called them dumb. I think your meaning is they're just, they're chaotic. They're not sensical many of the time. Sometimes you get a, you know, a whole storyline when you stop to think about it, but they can be very chaotic, but full of symbols and full of meaning. And when you slow it down, the story that can arise from that is so powerful. So another technique is like you're saying about slowing it down is like really slowing it down because we have it, I, it, because we're confabulating to try to make sense. But another one came to my mind. I was actually in a dream conference. And this was when, and this part of group therapy. And it was a two day thing and I had a dream. I was so happy. Uh, I was like, I delivered one for you. <laughs> <laughs> and the dream was that I was in a store. It was a mom and pop store. Then there was a male behind the counter, but he was blind. So I'm looking around and all these people are, you know, he's just somehow checking people out, but he's blind. And so I get something and I'm aware that I could steal from him. And so I, it was bread, I think. And so I hand him the bread and, but maybe I had kept some bread for myself. And then he put his hand on it and told me the price and I leave and I feel horrible really, really horrible. But then I see other people going and doing it. Like everyone knew that I had done this and he knew that I had done this. Like maybe he wasn't totally blind and it was a gift and he was giving me something. So that's a dream, roughly. So then in telling the dream, I got so emotional talking about it because I had so much shame about stealing from this mom and pop store. And why did I do that? And part of what came out was the dream was generated by the conference. And so I'm showing up at the store and I'm supposed to be purchasing this one thing, bread or whatever, but I really want a little extra bread for myself. <laughs> so I was having the feeling that like, 
I was getting therapy. It was therapeutic for me. Some of what was happening, I was like feeling mm -hmm. cared for and loved and responded to. But it felt like, oh, but we're in a conference. That's not supposed to be happening. So I'm stealing it. You're in training. You were training, training for other people. For other right. people. So I think what came out in the dream was this notion that, like, first of all, if I was going to get something, I'd have to steal it. And yet the conclusion, the climax of the dream was, no, you didn't have to steal it. I'm bringing my internal working model that, you know, oh, if I want something, I'm going to be sneaky and get it because I don't trust that it's going to come to me directly. But in this new store and in this new thing, everybody knows exactly. It's like, oh, that's Sue's. That, look at Sue trying to steal that bread. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's so, you know, it's my, it just my stuff was just right there. So it was a really sweet, really sweet dream. Well, the thing about that is in the uncensored part of Therapist Uncensored, those that have been listening for a while and know you, know this part of you that kind of really does feel sheepish about taking things, taking too much, having too much. It's a really constant theme of just like you being able to like, I want this, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take the time for me at this conference, right? Right. And that's a real struggle for you. To use you for our listeners out there in this therapeutic way, the beauty of really taking time to go in and go slow in that dream, because it really, as you're talking about it, and as you're replaying the dream, you're in the body experience of it. You could probably hear that as you were listening to Sue tell the dream that she's having the emotional experience. She's just not saying, you know, I tend to struggle with this. Can you help me? She's in the process of feeling those feelings Yet now, in a really safe room, talking about it. So now we have the pairing, right? When we're talking about updating your, your working model that you can steal the bread because she, this, this man knew you were taking it and wanted you to have it. It was a gift. And so it's a way when we talk about updating the internal working model, this is an example of being able to use a dream. And by talking about it with a friend or a therapist or somebody and making those powerful associations and going, ah, that's okay to have that. You're shifting something. You're shifting a worldview inside you by taking the time to do that bit of work. Totally. I mean, I could feel if I slowed down to get that climactic moment of the, oh my God, they know, they knew and they're giving it to me and they're letting me take it in the way that I have to take it, that I couldn't just go up and claim everything I needed you know, I could feel emotional about that now. And it even sort of ties to the first dream of like, I'm the one that has to carry everything and I'm the one that has to hold right. everything. And if something goes wrong, if that rope had broken, no matter which one I was in, if I was the person on the rope, I would have fallen. If I was the rope, I would have broken. So kind of like uber self-sufficiency. And then if I am going to get something, I'm stealing the bread versus having the experience, the secure experience of, oh, honey, there's bread. You, you can... You go to through around the Take store and you pick whatever candy and bread you want, girl. <laughs> I love it. And I, and you know what? That actually highlights what we'll, we'll use this one if that's okay to keep going. And like, what are some things that you can do with dreams? One of them, talking about them in a really safe place, getting them out, making the powerful associations, making the connections maybe to what's going on for you in the present moment or more deeply in your internal working model. And then I think about, like I'm thinking about the building one, right? Holding on. Another way to work with, that we work with dreams in therapy 
is to help somebody once they identify is to take that image and actually have a reliving of it mm-hmm. or a replacement. Redream of it. it, yeah. A redream it. So you can tell about that. We used to do it with kids. You can retell the story after getting in touch, because when you retell a dream, you're back in touch with those feelings. But if we were to say to Sue, okay, so let's imagine there that you're holding you're holding that up and you let go of that string. And then as Sue's telling it, she's going to feel the panic. If I let go, it's consistent with a working model of it's going to all fall apart, right? But as you let go, who on the other side is going to catch it? What do you imagine? Who is there for you to actually catch that? And how could I help you hold it if I'm the therapist? And to have the reliving of that in a way that is retelling and you can feel the support around you, right? Because our internal working model is often, it's about the past. It's not about the present, and if you look around and what resources do you have for you inside you or somebody next to you? And so you can have your body have a revisiting of that really deep emotional implicit memory that might be coming up. And we're going to make it more explicit by talking about it for one. So we're moving it in our mind to a more explicit memory idea. And now we're going to have somebody help us. So now we have this power of association that says somebody is there. I'm not holding the whole weight by myself. It makes me think of uh, David Elliott's work about using imagination to create security. So it's so interesting. You're right. Because like, if I were to revisit that dream, which was not, I I perceived that was was not a trauma dream, but it's a good one for this example about like, but my stuff was all in it no matter what. So yeah, you're right. So like, if I imagined a building super, (laughs) you know, who was on top of it and he noticed, oh, hey, you know, that doesn't look very secure. Let me, you know, you know, step aside. Let me uh, put some bolts in that or whatever. You know what I mean? That like that there's somebody there to help. Or let's say I got stuck in the middle of the two buildings that like my eagle, my eagle sees me and swoops down. And just as I'm <laughs> like falling, it. just as I'm falling, I jump on his back and we take off. The idea being, yeah, you redream it. But what's very important is that you you want to end it secure. So that dream, that first dream, was not in a secure place. It was like I was in distress no matter which place. So you keep working with it until it's like, yeah, okay, so the eagle's good. And then now I'm going to go across the two buildings, and I'm not going to be hand over hand. I'm going to, like, be on a unicycle or something because I know I can do this so well. I have such capability now, and I've have the training. Oh, hey. And there's a net underneath me, so it doesn't really matter. And people are cheering. And like we can just transform the story to something playful, fun. So what security looks like always is you have a capacity inside yourself that you can feel. And that capacity isn't about you being great. It's not like because you have it all together. It's because you've been loved and you've been able to hold on to that love through your whole life span. Security is never alone. It's always because we have been filled with all of the good resources, cultural resources and earth resources and things like that. So anyway, so if you're transforming a story from a scary story to a secure story, we want it to land where that you have capability because you can lean on other people and that those people are going to be available and be delighted to help you. And if you can keep hitting that note, you can daydream it. If you take one of your own dreams and daydream that ending and be big, you're only limited by your imagination. It can be anything that becomes your secure world. 
Oh, I, I love that. I feel like Brene Brown. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Less unpack. <laughs> so, and another process, like if you have, because that would be, especially if you have a repetitive dream, like a reoccurring. So many people have reoccurring themes. Like what is the reoccurring theme? Even if you can't unpack like the details. So sometimes, honestly, it's really hard to have as vivacious memory of the dreams like you have that you can hold. So if you're out there going, I can't hold my dream. I wake up by 10 o'clock and coffee. I have no idea what actually happened. But do you have reoccurring themes? Because there could be this particular anxiety. Like, you know, some of the most common dreams are being chased, being late, you know, falling. If you maybe a repetitive, like you're, you're in a car and it's out of control. And that's something that you experience. Like, ah, I'm in this car. Or maybe the theme is, I continue to find myself in a position where I feel a little out of control. So that might be a communication to you that there's something that the fear of being out of control or so much is out of control, if that's a theme. And so in the same vein of what you're saying, Sue, is like really taking in the out of control feeling. So maybe you can't do the whole dream, but you can really get in touch with the idea of out of control. Yeah, even if it's just a snippet. A snippet, a snippet. I'm out of control. I'm losing control of my car every time I get in it. And it's so scary. Okay, so then how do you transform that into a secure place? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so if you're, let's think of the car. So it's out of control. And you're like, okay, I'm in touch with this sense of out of control. Like, so one of the things is to really allow yourself to get in touch with the experience of it and to tolerate it because what we often do when we're out of control is our first instinct is let me get things under control. And so then we start over managing our children or our spouse and not being consciously aware of it. And so one of the things is like, what is so out of control? And do you have the resilience if things are so chaotic around you to say, I can handle this. I can build my agency. I can tolerate this out of control while I explore it. And then moving that from resilience to is it out of control? Are there people around me? Do I have resources around me? Or am I doing this all alone? Do I think I have to hold on to this position at work, even though I hate it? Because everybody else is going to go to hell in the handbasket. You know, it's like, it's retelling the sense of being out of control in a way that says I have agency to handle it. But I also have resources around me that I don't have to be the one in control. That w- will it spin out if I lose my job? Oh, that's great. And, you know, you said something else about, you know, it's harder to remember their dreams and that there are techniques to work on that, but mainly not to underestimate your ability to daydream. So one would be, yeah, you grab a recorder that if you can find even a snippet, if you can grab it because they go away so quickly. But I was also thinking in terms of just another way of working with dreams. So I've had a series of dreams of, we were talking about some of the big themes, some water, I always think of water. It doesn't mean this, but I always think of feelings and feelings flowing. You know, like I had one dream where I was in front of an aquarium and like I had like Shamu and everything in it and the dang thing broke. And so all of these creatures were coming towards me. And so very scary dreams like that. But I'm going back to them about how to work with them. So almost always my dreams, I was in dark water. You know, there's a dead body there. You know, I mean, just really scary stuff. So everybody's going to be wondering about me now. But um, <laughs> no, but this is the cool part is then I became really interested in water and dreams. And so waking life, I would work on like, what is this trying to tell me? And what am I scared to see? And so 
my dreams begin to transform and I might be on a canoe rather than in the water or the water might be more clear. So I could see a transition over time. I remember one specifically where I'm scuba diving and I can breathe underwater and the water was clear and it still kind of had that creepy feel. Like I wasn't quite sure what I was going to find, but like going back to this thing, I had resource, I had oxygen, I could see, I had people swimming with me. So now we're doing the deep dive into the psyche of what all is in here. Now I'm equipped to be able to handle the scary, you know, creature that is around the corner. I'm only saying that though, actually as a way of, if you can apply your own dream and let yourself keep dreaming it, ask yourself to keep dreaming it, and then talk about it when you're awake and finish the dream. So you finish it securely, just keep talking about it and move it into something that is more resolved. Like we want these things to be processed and resolved. I like that. And, and by the way, for those of you with kids and dreaming and nightmares are so common, it's a wonderful way to help kids who are waking up and having nightmares or telling you about it to be able to say, let's go further, let's retell that. So then what happened? And then you help them as they fall back asleep, tell the story in a resolved, confident way, because you're doing two different things. You're sitting there managing their nervous system, which is, of course, a very important part of your role as a parent but then you're helping them reintegrate whatever anxiety that was coming up for them in a really, really positive way. And so you mentioned, you know, ways to do that. When I said that, you know, most of us, many of us can't remember, like, you know, no, I dreamed, or maybe I don't even know I dreamed. If you start to say, I'm going to start remembering my dreams, I really want to, and you set a conscious intention, and even you catch a glimpse of something, what is fascinating is that you will, for most of us, start then remembering and recalling more of your dreams. What I'm saying is, is when you open up to that part of you, you're communicating. Okay, so let me, let me put this, this is my theory, but I think it's supported. I don't want to say this as, I'm saying it as fact because I believe it so much, but actually. It's, actually, it's and fact. It's and fact. It's not a fact. I can't say it. But it's because what you're saying to yourself when you say, I want my dreams, I want to remember my dreams, you're telling your body, your mind, your psyche, that you're safe enough to handle, to cope with whatever it is that it might be doing at night when my defenses are down and my unconscious is, is going and doing its own process. You're saying, hey, actually, I feel pretty sturdy. Bring it to me. Let me take a look. And so you're opening up. And you're saying, I want to do this deeper work. And it's really interesting that you can start to manifest yourself to remember your dreams. And I've seen friends do this, like, oh my God, I started doing it. And now I'm remembering all these dreams. The same is true as I go periods of time where I'm not interested and I'm just closed off. I'm too busy in my day and I don't even think about it. I like, hmm, I haven't remembered a dream in ages. It's a good communication to myself how tuned in I am to myself if I don't have access to any of my dreams. I think those are a period of time in my life when I'm not as aware or mindful of myself. So some thoughts to share about maybe for you, do I want to open up to this part of myself? Can I? Can I see what's rich and underneath if I do? And in that invitation, for those of you who still might end up not remembering dreams, the way I think that we're talking about it is that the psyche speaks in many languages and dreams are just one. So beginning to pick up like loose associations, 
really getting more interested in, you know, the stuff that on your peripheral vision that you don't know why you keep thinking about this thing. It's just kind of, you know, you might look at it and it goes away, but there's something there. Your art, you know, your creative expression, you know, that these are all ways of kind of getting around our left thinking Excel spreadsheet that we're interested in, like, we are deeply connected human beings as a race, as a, as a single race. We are deeply, deeply connected to the world. And so there really is this close, this communication that is always there, but we're just, I love what you're saying, but sometimes I'm not tapped into it and I have to really invite it. And so this is kind of, you know, like we're inviting you to like, yeah, what's, what is that deeper, those deeper truths? Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. You had mentioned a recurring dream or, or a, that often when people pass away, dreams help us process that. Would you want to share your version of that? Yeah, because dealing with death and loss and, and, and honestly, then you go on with your everyday life and yet you can have experiences that are really powerful by bringing that meaning and that person back in. Uh, yeah, I did mention, this is a really intense dream I had. So the one kind of dream, you mentioned daydreams, but another way to dream is called a lucid dream. And they're very rare from what I can tell. You only have maybe a few of them in your life if you ever have them. And a lucid dream is the part of the dream that you're asleep, but you're starting to dream, but all of a sudden you become aware of yourself dreaming. You're aware, but yet you're still in the dream. This has only happened to me one time in my life, and it was after my mom passed away. I had been really wanting her to come to me in my dreams. I was just like, as I was missing her and really wanting, but you just can't dial that up as much as you think. And I was pretty young at the time, I guess I was around 30. And I ended up dropping into a dream finally. I was really wanting this connection with her. And I had this dream and all of a sudden in the middle of the dream, there was some long dinner table and the, this limousine. And when I got in, which is so funny because there's no limousine in my life, but there was some privilege. That's how I associated the door opened and my mom was inside the limousine and I came and I got in and all of a sudden I, as I was dreaming with it, I had this awareness. <gasps> I was sitting with, oh my gosh, it makes me emotional. We really are uncensored today, but I was actually with her and I was aware that I was with her and it was so visceral. I could feel, see, hear, I was sitting there and all of a sudden I was realizing this was a dream. And then I realized if I woke up, I would be leaving the moment and I could feel myself starting to come out of the dream and I could actually make myself stay. It wasn't too long. It was so powerful. And it was a very healing process to be able to be there and have that moment. I tried to call it back multiple times, never worked, but I felt so privileged to have had that. And then later when I studied about dreams myself and I read about lucid dreams, I'm like, that's what it was. So I feel grateful to have had it. But it's an interesting experience in the psyche to kind of be there, be in it, and then relive it. But what I've done with it since is gone with what experience I was having in that dream, what came to me and what I was trying to work through. Very powerful. That's beautiful. And notice in both things, it's here in the morning, we're just chatting. And these dreams touch so deeply, which is why we really want to encourage you to, you know, be kind to yourself related to looking at these. And also, we haven't mentioned specifically trauma dreams. Yeah, I think we should. Right, which are a little different. It's, I mean, different and, and not, you know, they're not to torture us. They're not meant to torture us, but they can be 
torturing. And I think that was, you know, some of mine early in life, but that being able to get help and working with your dreams to resolve the guilt that you're feeling that you might replay over and over or whatever that core moment is that does get repeated, that would be a good one to move into EMDR or to move into some sort of body work about like, what is what does this keep telling me? Help me understand what I need to know so that I can move back into a place of relationship and connection. So yeah, if you have those moments or, you know, I can't find you, I can't find you, I can't find you, you know, you can kind of like you're suggested to have dreams. I'm gonna suggest that you find me. <laughs> or what, whoever the person is that you're looking for in the dream, you're looking and you're looking and you're looking and let yourself find them. Because again, like if we, let's go back to attachment for just a second, like that, you know, where are you, where are you? I'm crawling and I'm trying to find you and I'm trying to find you, is that preoccupation. So in the dream, if you're letting yourself find the person that you're looking for, it's kind of anticlimactic, right? Because it's like, yeah. Like in other words, the person that we're looking for isn't the solution to the pain that we're in, the pain and distress we're in. We believe it to be. We believe if we could just find that person, then I'd be safe. That's right, but, but that's not all that external, that's that preoccupation, red zone. Then this ties in, I think, Anne, you and I spoke about the internal working models and how the amygdala really does an, at an attachment. So for example, somebody that is preoccupied really does take in like a slight or something like that more deeply. They feel it more deeply. And so th there's also evidence that this happens in dreams too. So that those kinds of dreams are gonna be, you know, if, if you tend towards, if you lean in the preoccupied direction and if something's stirring you up and you're preoccupied. But since we know where we're going, which is that you already have this capacity inside of you, you're already okay. If you put your hand over your heart and your heart is beating, it means we're already here, we've already done it, we're already fine. And we get to be these messy humans in the world and not be perfect. So that the thing that you're looking for so desperately in the dream, eh, it'd be great to have it, but you're already you're okay. That's kind of the message, I think. And it adds to the idea of those themes in your dreams being a real avenue for you. Because when you are in REM and having these dreams, your amygdala is more lit up. I mean, it's your amygdala and your, your hippocampus, they're so in communication. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally limbic. And so the ability to kind of relive that and calm that, because one of the things you're saying is you're taking the threat out of that. The amygdala believes that that's a life-threatening experience because it's associated find the person, with... Find the person, find the person. Yeah. yeah, it's associated with your younger self. So when you're reliving it and telling it, but you're not just trying to relive this dream and go, okay, what am I looking for? So I have to go out there and find it. It's like, oh, you're turning that work internal. That obviously is our theme today, is that we're turning it really internal and that power of association of working through that, I loved how you said, if you could see Sue, she was putting her hands on her chest. It's like, okay, I don't have to find this to know that I'm okay. Think about how you're communicating with your entire limbic system. That threat is not necessary in that place. It's just really, really important. And I, I think also we have to note, we've been talking a lot about dreams. We haven't talked about nightmares, but when you're talking about trauma dreams, it's really common for kids to have nightmares, but not as common for adults. It's a much lower percentage. But if you have PTSD, about 80%, I think, in research of PTSD sufferers have nightmares. 
And so there's a lot of work being done about what that nightmare represents, but it is really similar to that high activation in the daytime state at night that the PTSD is being activated at night. And so I love that you went to the idea of you having that, really getting help and thinking about EMDR, thinking about ways to really deal with the trauma, not just to get suppress the nightmare, but to be dealing with the trauma that's underneath. Right, because I really do like thinking of, you know, our body can't, we can dissociate hard things, but our body is still processing them. It can't not. So these dreams are not meant to be, yeah, like I said, torture. They really are a signal of that there's something that isn't integrated. And so it's thinking of it as integration. And so it can be integrated, no matter how horrible it is, it can be integrated. And there is another side to it. So we really encourage you, if that's something that you're struggling with, to get help with it and not, you're, you're not doomed forever. That's perfect. Well, we mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of ways to interpret dreams. There's no one way. We're giving you kind of how we process it. Also did an interview with two union analysts who see dreams much more about your unconscious and a collective unconscious that is not just your own personal history, your own personal psyche that you're working through, but it's the collective, the bigger sense of unconsciousness and collectiveness in the world that is being processed through your dreams and communicating to your dreams. And so tune in for that. That's going to come up after this one to get a union perspective on dreams. It's very powerful. And then in the meantime, tune in and share your dreams. You know, you could share them with us. You can share them with safe people. Begin dream journals really, really do encourage that. Or if you've had a particularly, you know, life event experience that came from a dream, Tell us about it. Yeah. And if you do and you feel comfortable without your name, if you feel comfortable with Sue and I referencing that dream, just say that to say, you know, yeah. by the way. Yeah. But you need to say that because nothing that you're going to write, we're going to actually talk about we're unless ther- you say. We're therapists. We're, we're therapists. Involved. Yeah. But if you say, hey, this is a dream, this is how I worked and this is really powerful, maybe at some point we would share that. So feel free to, to mention that. That's right. Share with us, share with your close people. Because, yes. you know, we mentioned it, but the interpersonal part of the dream, like we were both interpersonal with one another, but also with you, the listener, sharing a little bit more. And sometimes you reveal more than you mean to. <laughs> so it's vulnerable. Um, it's true. So the interpersonal part of dreaming is also something not to be overlooked and it's a real opportunity to get closer to people okay we should let them go thanks for tuning in hey if this episode or any of our episodes really bring meaning to you and you feel you can share them with those that you care about please do but if they're bringing meaning to you and changing your life you might also consider becoming a patreon member or a supercast member with just five dollars a month you could help sue and i produce this show and really make a difference. So you would go to therapist uncensored slash join and sign up there. That's right. And that allows us actually to be able to do a lot more. The corporate sponsors that we have keep the show free for everyone, but we're also then able to support mental health access for those who are traditionally left behind. So it's all this win, 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 which we love. And then the other thing, if you don't want to sign up or pay money, that's cool. You can also just send us a review. And that is a really great way to help other people find the show. All right. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you around the bend. 
Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.